for listening to Hope Central's latest message. You can learn more about Hope Central or find more messages at hopecentral.org.au. Jody spoke a couple of weeks ago about Nehemiah and his leadership ability, but I want to talk about Nehemiah and his vision, in fact, his blueprint for vision. I've never considered myself a visionary. I've more considered myself as a dreamer. God generally speaks to me in dreams, but dreams can become visions. Andy Stanley in his book, Visioneering, which I highly recommend you read, and I'll be referencing quite a bit, says this about dreamers and visionaries. Dreamers see something that should be and hope and pray that it changes, whereas a visionary sees things that should be and goes about changing it for themselves. It's a great way to be. So how is a vision born? I believe a vision starts in two ways. One, you have a dream that doesn't leave you. And two, You see something that just keeps gnawing at you. It becomes a burden. It doesn't leave you. It keeps you awake at night. And that's the sort of vision I want to talk about today. I've had two visions in my life, one personal and one for others. And I want to tell you about the personal one. In 1997, God started waking me up in the middle of the night and uh, talking to me about speaking in front of hundreds and hundreds of people. Now, this is more of a nightmare than actually a, a nice dream. It wasn't something that I was ever keen on doing, but it just kept coming. It was unrelenting. Night after night, God would be speaking to me about talking in front of people. I used to sit there and argue with God about it, saying, I'm never going to do it. It's not going to happen. Then, for some reason, he started dropping scriptures into my dreams at night. And uh, oh, I've got to be honest, I, I don't know a heck of a lot of scripture off the top of my head, especially not back then. But God would drop these scriptures into my heart and into my mind and into my dreams and I'd wake up in the morning and I'd say to Anna, does such and such say this or what about this or does it say that? And I'd, I'd say to her what the, what the dream was and it would be generally word for word and it was always obscure uh, type scriptures that, you know, there's no chance I would have known what they were and it just used to freak me out and I guess God did this to build my faith that he was actually talking to me. So I would argue constantly with God saying, no, I don't want to do this. But in, in about 1999, I was sitting, we were watching a video in church about some street minister preaching. And I was sitting in the back row for some reason. I don't normally do that. And as I was sitting there, I was watching this video of this guy up there preaching. And I heard this audible-like voice in my head say, that'll be you. And I turned around to see who was talking. There was no one there. The next week on a Saturday night, I was again woken up by God. And I, I honestly, I was so angry. I said, I'm not going to do this. You need to stop talking to me about doing this because uh, it's not for me. I'm not good enough to do this. I said, you'd be better using my brothers who aren't Christians because they'd be better at doing it. I went to church that morning and the message was on Gideon about him being the least of the least. So I sat there and I thought, okay, God, maybe you are talking to me. And uh, I said, yes, I'll do it. I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever it takes. You know, from the second that I said that I'd do it, you know what happened? You guessed it, nothing, not another word. God didn't speak to me again. I didn't hear another thing from him. And I thought, what's going on? And I struggled with this a bit. I thought, oh, you know, what's, what's the plan? What is it that you want me to go out and do and bless the people with? When do we start? What do we do? Nothing. 
I was losing my confidence in what I thought God had told me. See, what you're seeing before you today up here is not God's finished vision. It's a starting work. You know, God is always working out his vision through us. And uh, that's what he's doing with me. In 2002, I went to Bible college to do nothing more than learn more about the Bible. Um, Had no thoughts of being a pastor or anything like that. And talk about a square peg in a round hole. I went to Bible college. I didn't enjoy a second of it. I'm not trying to sell it to you, but I didn't enjoy a second of it. It's the only place in my life I've actually hit a person. That was at Bible college. I used to have Glenn there at Bible college to look after me. He didn't do a very good job on that day. Anyway, I didn't really fit in. You see, God didn't snap his fingers and put me into a street full of a 100 people and start preaching. I needed to train for this. It has to be a training that comes with it. I needed to have faith in what he's doing and I needed some of the very harsh edges and knocked off me and filed down. It was painful, it was stretching and it is without doubt the most scary thing I ever do. But it's necessary. I mean, hundreds of people, seriously. The very first time I spoke in front of people was in a small country church in Kapunda. There was about eight people. I gave a communion. I nearly soiled myself. I mean, talk about a hundred people. I can't believe it. My first place I went as a pastor was Wakeree. The very first service that day, there were six people, not including my family. hundred people. It always seemed too far away. But the journey God's put me on today makes more and more sense, where one day hundreds of people will become the normal. A vision is about movement, it's about momentum and it's about action. It's fluid and it keeps moving. And what we dream the first time, what we see the first time that God gives us may not be where we end up. I was talking to Jeff Knott the other day and, you know, he was in the RAF and he had a vision that he was going to go into ministry and he was going to do pastoral care as a pastor in a church and he... um put things into place to leave the RAF and people would mock him and said, you shouldn't be doing that. Why would you give up a career to go and work in the church as pastoral care? But Jeff had a vision on his heart. So he left, he left the RAF and he went into Bible college and he did three years of Bible college and he um, then started working within the church. But it became clear that he was never going to get a job working in the church full time. And his pastor at the time said to him, have you ever thought about being a funeral director? I mean, How does that make any sense? I just thought, "Hmm, maybe I'll give it a crack. Now, you know, Jeff is a funeral director now, and this is God's vision for him. What started out as as a vision of being pastoral care worker in a church is now he is uh, being doing pastoral care for people, hundreds of people every day when they come in for funerals, and that's what he cares for people, and he's, he's revealing God's love to them. That vision of pastoral care wasn't what he thought it is, but it's what he's doing now. God is an amazing God and you just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. If you want a title for this message, it would be this, you need to hurry up and wait. We need to stop rushing to complete God's vision and let him do it. The quicker we wait, the quicker God will move on our behalf. I've been reading Habakkuk and the Habakkuk is uh, quite a small book, which is good for me because then I can read it. It's uh, only got three chapters. The first chapter talks about Habakkuk arguing with God. Sounds like someone we know. Arguing with God about the injustices. Why does this happen? Why do you let that happen? Why aren't you doing something? And God will just sit there and say, you know, take it easy, Habakkuk. I'm all right. I'm here. I can help. Habakkuk keeps complaining. And then in chapter two, he's still complaining. I think God goes, oh, okay. He says this in Habakkuk 2, 2 verse 3. And the Lord answered me, 
write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. I will, do not, I will not delay. A vision from God won't be rushed. Probably one of the fastest ways that we can derail God's vision for us is to rush on ahead. God is not in the habit of being wrong. God does not mistakes. He, it does not make mistakes. He is perfect. And remember, it's his vision, not yours, and he'll outwork it. If you've got a vision from God and you're running ahead, I want you to take heart from someone we've all know, Abraham. Abraham was complaining to God about not having children that his servant Eliezer was going to inherit all he had. And God answered him in an incredible promise in Genesis 15, 4, considering he was 85. And the Lord replied, no, he won't. You will have a son of your own and everything you have will be his. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said, look at the, uh, the sky and the sea if you can't count the stars. That's how many descendants you will have. Abram believed the Lord and the Lord was pleased with him. Sarah was about 80 when God told Abraham of this vision for them. The very next chapter, doubt crept in and uh, Sarah decided the best way to work out God's vision for them was to take matters in her own hands. And in Genesis 16, 1 to 4, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. She said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took the Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. I mean, seriously, what's going on here? One, one minute you're going to have children that are going to be so numerous that they're going to be stars in the sky that you can't count. And the next minute I'm going to give you Hagar, my slave, to have children with. I mean... It's not like Abraham didn't have time to think about it. He went to Canaan and lived for 10 years after the offer and he still did it. Now, clearly this wasn't God's plan for them, was it? However, what I love about this story is Hagar has a child called Ishmael and Ishmael is still in covenant with God and becomes the uh, the father of the Arab nation, too numerous to number. God still uh, keeps the promise with Abraham and he protects Hagar and Ishmael uh, later on in life too, which is an amazing thing. But of course, as we know, God does fulfill the promise and Isaac is born and uh, it becomes the Israelite nation, which is an amazing thing. Sometimes the things that God speaks to us about are so big, we think that maybe like Sarah, we need to uh, work out the plan for ourselves and use our own uh, wisdom. He doesn't need our assistance. You can't hurry God. You need to hurry up and wait. The second vision I had from God was when I worked at Phoenix Society Interesting, the second vision would not have worked without the first, and I hope that becomes clearer as we, we go on. I was a training and development officer for Phoenix Society, and I used to uh, sit down with people with disabilities, and I would uh, teach them new tasks and jobs that they couldn't couldn't do. But it was, uh, you know, we'd, we'd do different manufacturing jobs, and so my job was to teach them. So I'd sit around a table with some guys, and it was great. You'd sit there and have chats about what we did, last night, what we did the night before. And uh, quite often on Monday, the conversation would always be, what did you get up to on the weekend? And uh, they'd be various 10-pin bowling or we had basketball, that sort of thing. And it'd come to me and I'd say, well, you know, we did this on a Saturday night. And I said, well, you know, Sunday Sunday and uh, it's a good day to relax. And generally was my response. God really challenged me on that response. Uh, he 
He said, no, you actually need to tell them what you do on a Sunday. So next week he came around and asked the same question. So I said, you know, like Sunday, I went to church on Sunday and that's what I do every Sunday. I go to church and I love it. And to my amazement, they didn't mock me or say anything bad. They just said things like, you know, we used to go to church when we were younger, but we were made to not feel welcome there. So we we no longer go to church. And so many people, so many times I'd heard say that and it absolutely ate at me. It, used to, it just it twisted in my stomach the instant I heard this that people could actually go to church and not be made to feel welcome because of certain reasons. So that one sentence uh, launched in me a very large vision and that was to have a church service where people feel welcome to come back. Um, I remember thinking that that is not God's plan for anyone. In Romans twelve thirteen, it says this, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And hospitality means the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors or strangers. And this is when Unique started uh, and was planned. It was planned out of indignation. It was planned out of utter sadness of what we're saying about God uh, when by excluding and ignoring others in church. Nehemiah, I believe, has a blueprint on how we can work a vision out of any size that God gives us. Now, I'm not about to tell you that this is the formula. These are the 10 steps that are going to make you uh, fulfill God's vision for you. But what I've noticed in Nehemiah's vision, my vision, what Jeff has told me, others like Jeff have told me, the vision always starts the same way. A vision starts with a concern. A vision starts with seeing things that could be and should be. Nehemiah asked his brothers how the Jews were going who were in exile and the ones who had escaped and how was Jerusalem going and he was told not good. He was told that the walls of the temple had been knocked down and it was, it was in utter ruin. Nehemiah went to pieces. Nehemiah 1, 4-6 says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed for the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants. The prayer of Israel. I confess the sins of Israelites, including myself and my father's family have committed against you. Nehemiah had heard the walls had been broken down and right away Nehemiah saw what should be and could be. He saw that the walls should be rebuilt and could be rebuilt. A vision is always a picture of what could be and should be from God's perspective. When I heard that people weren't being made to feel welcome in church, it actually really hurt. It, it stirred something within me that I thought that something must be done about this. We cannot have people not coming to church because they're not made to feel welcome because it's not what God has in, in plan for anybody. God's plan for everybody is to be feeling welcome. I would hate to think that people don't come to church because we as a congregation are, um, are not making them to feel welcome. We must be deliberate in making people feel welcome. You need to be positioned and ready to go. God does not in many cases, if at all, call anybody and the very next minute they're out there filling their, fulfilling their vision. It is always a process. It starts with positioning. Being in a place of trust first made it easier for Nehemiah to go to the king and ask that he could have time off to go and rebuild the wall. Sometimes we may wonder why on earth we are doing what we're doing and question how they will ever help the vision. But remember, God is a great architect and he is perfect in every way. Nehemiah was the king's servant. He was the king's cupbearer. This is a massive position of trust. As Jody said the other week, that this guy is the one who will uh, drink and eat his food before it goes to him so he doesn't die. 
Now, Nehemiah would have thought uh, that I'm not qualified for this or maybe who do I think I am to ask the king for such a thing? When I look at my first vision to talk in front of hundreds of people at a time, that there was only part of the vision. And without that part of the vision, I'd never been able to go into the next phase of the vision that is a building a congregation of people with disabilities. God positioned me in such a way that I was able to move into the next phase, even without me knowing it. The next thing you need to be is you need, you need to be patient. Just because you have a, have a vision doesn't necessarily mean you have a green light to go. You've got to wait until you sense that it's time to move on the vision. Waiting time is not wasted time. You need to make sure you have all you need to complete the task. And this is a time when a lot of us slip back into making it happen in our own wisdom. We need to understand what God originates, God orchestrates. Nehemiah didn't have the resources to build, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He didn't have the money. He didn't have the freedom. He didn't have the authority. In fact, his life was in danger because kings at that time had a nasty habit of keeping people who seemed to be rising up above their, their, who they were. But when God originates a vision, God always orchestrates the how. God is the God of the what, but he is also the God of the how. Some of you may be thinking, I'm not a visionary. I don't even believe that God will have a plan for my life and I struggle with this vision stuff. God is calling me to walk with him in nothing more. You may be right. God may not give you a full plan for your life and what he should be doing, but he will give you a picture of what could be and should be in different areas of your life, in your marriage, in your workplace, in your family. The picture will come directly as a result of your walk with him. God's vision for all of us is to walk closely with him. You know, recently I I was... I was struggling with what I'm doing here as a pastor, whether I was to stay congregation pastor or just to move on and, and look after unique and do that sort of thing. So I went away to pray. I talked to Joe and Jody about it and they said, yes, you should probably go and pray. So I went away and prayed about it. And I went to Moonto and it was fantastic. And I stayed on the beach and I just spent time with God. I, I got closer with God. You know, it didn't take long for God to actually slap me around the head and say, what are you doing? This is my vision. It's not your vision. I've called you to do this. We'll do it together. And it was, it was an amazing thing. And it was so, I'm walking along the beach talking with God by myself and hearing clear as a, clear as a bell that God wants me to stay exactly where I am doing what he's called me to do. But how about, you know, you let him do it, which was, a, which was an amazing thing. The other thing he said to me, which actually made me tear up a little bit, and I know I look really big and tough and strong, but I was quite emotional. As we're walking along the beach, I heard him say to me, why is it taking you so long to come and talk to me? I've missed you. I've missed spending time with you. It it broke me. I thought, oh, I have all this time I'm rushing around and trying to do the right thing and trying to fulfill everything that God's got for me and he wants to spend time with me. And I noticed that I'm not spending any time with him. I'm reading the word and I'm doing this, but I'm doing it to fulfill my job and and to try and work this vision out that he gave me. But at the end of the day, I'm not really spending time with him and he misses it. If you want to know God's vision for your life, you need to walk closely with him. I need to walk closely with him. We all need to. The other thing we need is resilience. When we're trying to work out, when we're trying to work through God's vision for our life, we need resilience. We need to expect opposition and mocking. You know, when I first started telling people about this plan for Unique and this dream of having a congregation for people with disabilities and bringing families back together, the amount of times people would say to me, what for? Why would you do that? That's never going to work. 
is actually quite disheartening. Now, certainly, I never had to go through the, the things that Nehemiah went through when he had his vision and started moving on it. But still, you're going to expect mocking and things will be tough. Nehemiah 1, sorry, Nehemiah 4, 1 to 6 says, Now when Sam Ballot heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged and jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? Tobias the Ammonite was beside him and said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. I love that Nehemiah didn't fear their taunts and didn't fear. I mean, seriously, these guys sound like the six-year-old, like, no, 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 no. Like, what are these guys doing? But, you know, it never phase Nehemiah. He never took his eyes off of what God had called him to do and he kept moving forward. And I love in um, in chapter 6, or verse 6, sorry, it goes on to say, so we built the wall and all the walls were joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. It's like it just didn't matter. He just continued doing what he was what he was asked to do. And then later in chapter 6, it talks about Sam Ballot then going on to, uh, he kept trying to get Nehemiah to come and have a chat with him, but what he was actually planning to do was bring him, do him harm. And, and Nehemiah saw through that. And then later some people came to Nehemiah and said, the, the, the king is going to, or you're going to be killed. And so Nehemiah saw through that as a lie. And they were going to tell then the king that Nehemiah was plotting war against him. And of course that was a lie. And Nehemiah saw all through all of this because he knew what God had called him to do. He knew that God's vision was greater than all of this and he continued on to build the wall. When you look at Nehemiah, you see a man who is obsessed with being close to God and a person who never makes a move without first taking it to the Father. From the moment Nehemiah is filled with the burden, he hits his knees. In Nehemiah 1.4, I'll read that bit again. It says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. From the moment he, he heard it. Is this the first thing that we do when we're burdened with something? I have to be honest with you, I haven't, I have not um, fasted for a long time, but I know it's something that I need to start doing more uh, for God to fulfill all he has in my life. The weight of the vision should push you to your knees before it propels you into action. If we see a need, then we need to seek the answer in prayer. Nehemiah was a great leader, as Jody shared last week or a couple of weeks back, but he was also an extremely humble man that knew that God, um, he was nothing without God. It was God that made him great. Nehemiah 1.11 is testament to that. It says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. Now, now, this is the part where he's going to the king to ask him for time off to go and build the wall. And I love that even though Nehemiah didn't yet have the tools to fulfil the vision, he didn't sit idly by and wait for God to put it into his lap. He went straight to the Lord and asked him to direct his path. And, of course, he found favour in the eyes of the king. He found favour in the eyes of the people around him. But most importantly, he found favour in the eyes of God to fulfil that task. A bloke, an author, a British author by the name of Alan Redpath says this, We are fit for the work of God 
only when we have wept over it, prayed about it, and then we are enabled by him to tackle the job that needs to be done. So today, maybe you've never had a vision from God for your life. You, you need to do is find that thing that you think about the most. Maybe it's your family, maybe it's your wife or even your workplace. Bring it before God and see if he guides you and see where he takes you and you need to be bringing it before God. Ask God for a vision, ask God for a passion. Perhaps you've had a vision, but it just doesn't seem to be going anywhere at the moment. You're trying to make it happen in your own strength. Then can I encourage you today, look at the life of Nehemiah. That guy's life was an incredible life of a guy who shouldn't have done what he did, but he saw what could be and should be and did it. Look at the life of Nehemiah. Don't live on your own wisdom and your own understanding, but look to God. If God's given you the vision, it's his vision, so let him work it out through you. And if God's given you a vision for something today, are you ready? Have you stopped striving and given back God the control? Are you on your knees praying, believing that God will indeed have his way and see his vision into fruition? If not, maybe it's time we did. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you love us and that you care for us, Lord. And Father, I just pray that you put a passion on people's hearts to serve you, Lord, and fulfill all that you have in their lives, Lord. Lord, I pray that you bless this congregation and uh, Lord, you bring everybody's dream into fruition. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.